Okay, good morning. You guys want to find, find your seats and get comfortable? First of all, I would like to welcome everybody here to uh, Creekside Church. If you are new, if this is your first Sunday here, if you'd reach underneath your seats, maybe the seat in front of you, you'll find a yellow card. Uh, fill that out. Just give us some contact information, if you would, please. And also, uh, if, you're, if you're not new and you have a prayer request, we like you to uh, just mention that. Stick it in the offering when it comes around, and uh, we'd be happy to contact you or uh, certainly uh, lift you up in prayer during the week. You know, here at Creekside, we are very fortunate to have uh, just a wonderful uh, group of people that love to volunteer uh, for different activities, things we need done around this church. We're going to hear about it a little later on and uh, afterwards uh, uh, with uh, the men that just have returned from Haiti. Uh, great volunteer effort there. But, you know, you see it every uh, Sunday morning with people helping out in the kitchen. You see it on Wednesdays with Awana, with uh, the high school, the junior high groups, the different age groups, uh, the, the different ministries going on. Uh, but uh, one uh, group I'd like to pay a little bit of special attention to here this, this morning is our, is our deacons. Um, we have uh, a group of deacons here that, op that operate uh, here at Creekside and they help out in many different areas. Um, over the uh, last couple years, uh, we've, we've had new people come on our deacon board and, and, and some people uh, go off our deacon board. This morning, uh, I'd like to recognize a couple guys that uh, have been on our, our deacon board for a long time or, and are stepping down. If I could get uh, Rich and Dan, if you guys know, they, they just love the limelight. Do I have to come back there and get you guys or are you gonna, you're going to come on? Just come on. We just want to recognize these guys for what they do. You know, the deacons, uh, as, as we believe scripture teaches, they're not just ordinary men. They're men of dignity. They're men that have uh, certain financial uh, qualifications that their, their financial lives are under control. Uh, they certainly need to be learned in the, in the, uh, in the gospel and, and, and in the, the truth that, that, uh, uh, that the Bible teaches. And not only that, they, they have to live that daily. In, in their lives at work, in the family, and, and at, at church. And uh, I'd just like to uh, acknowledge these guys this morning for doing that. They are stepping down from our, our, our deacon board. I'm not sure if they've got fired or what, but I, I, think it, I think they're doing it voluntarily. But we just appreciate what they've done. I, I've known these guys like almost forever, it's, uh, in, which is pretty close for, for some of you, you clowns, uh, you people. but. Uh, uh, we just want to, as, a, as a, a congregation, we like to uh, thank you guys for, for the work, for the effort, for the example you've been o over the years. Um, one verse to come, let's give them a hand, that'd be great. First Timothy tells us that, that for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. We just thank you for your work that you've done and, and uh, we're not gonna let you go anywhere. You're still here to help out and work and, and uh, do what you can, but uh, I wanna thank you guys for, for what you've done for us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your greatness. We thank you, uh, God, that you are above all. God. Even this great creator, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of us, 
God, you want a relationship with us. God, you loved us so much, you gave us your son. God, what, what an incredible God. What an incredible God that we serve. God, we pray this morning that you would challenge our hearts, uh, convict us uh, where we are right now. God, help us not to leave the same as we came in. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. If uh, we, We're going to do take some notes today. Uh, so if, if you did not get a handout, please raise your hand, and Rodney is going to head, go ahead and uh, pass out some, uh, some handouts here. So if you didn't, didn't raise your hand, or uh, I'm sorry, if you did not get a handout, please raise your hand, and we'll, we'll get you one here so you can take some notes. Uh, we do have a couple pens as well, but if you got your own, I paid good money for these. Uh, so uh, we are talking about love this morning. And so as we talk about love, it was my birthday on Saturday, and if you did not wish me happy birthday, now's your time. Go ahead. All right, thank you very much. If you did not buy me a gift, there is still plenty of time for that as well, uh, so don't feel you missed out. But my daughter, who is nine years old, wrote me a little poem, and I thought this was about as great a gift as one can get. So this is my nine-year-old daughter writing me a poem about just her love for me and why we need each other. So she wrote, roses are red, violets are blue. You love me and I love you. You and me are like an addition problem. You are a number, I'm a number. Without each other, we can't make a sum. You and me are like a cardboard and packing tape. You are the packing tape, I am the cardboard box. Without you, I will fall apart. You and me are like a marker, you are the lid and I am the marker, and you are the cap. Without you, I will go dry. Isn't that awesome? There's some love right there. There's some love. So we, we want to talk about love, not, not in a sense of necessarily with our kids, but specifically as we look at 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning, we're going to talk about the marriage relationship. Okay, and, and, and here, here's, here's the reality. If you are not married, but you long to be, here's some great principles. If you are not married, have been married before, these are some great principles for me to pass on to my kids, for me to challenge other people with. So this applies whether you are married or not, whether you seek to be married or not. But my, my goal this morning, as we take some notes, you can look at your own lives and your own marriages, and begin to ask yourself, where, where can I grow? Where can I change? What are some of the things I can do in my life and my marriage that my spouse would begin to, to love and Jesus and begin to pursue the kingdom more? Because that is the goal of marriage, isn't it? The goal of marriage is that my wife or my husband would begin to look more like Jesus, would begin to pursue the things and the kingdom of God. That, that's what we want in marriage. There was an article in the Washington Post, this is from several years back, and the name of the article was entitled, The Myth About Marriage. And there are many quotes in there, so I want to make sure I catch them here. The Myth About Marriage. And the article began to talk about all of these marriage conferences that were taking place. And it, it specifically went into even the military and how they had now be, began to create conferences for people in the military to improve their marriages. Okay, and so these conferences were in place, and they were talking about other areas and, and many other organizations uh, putting these, these marriages together, these marriage conferences together. And one of the things that was noted is that within these conferences, the goal of the conference was to help people realize that it's not that you married the wrong person. 
you didn't marry the wrong person. But what, what it is, is you just don't know how to do marriage right. And so these conferences are set up and designed that you can improve your marriage. Isn't, isn't that an awesome idea? That your marriage right now can be improved. It can be better than where, even if you feel you got a great marriage, it can be improved. And so these are set up in a way that, okay, let's look at your marriage. Listen, forget about, did I marry the right person or not? You did. Now, how can we work? How can we improve the marriage? And so this article went on and talked about, gave many statistics I want to share here. But it talked about all marriages are essentially the same. We argue about many of the same things. Money, kids, time, sex, all of these things. They're chief among our issues within marriage. These are the things we deal with, and we know it. So here are some stats, and many of these stats are, called, are from the book Marriage Go Round. And it says, uh, first of all, one, we believe so much in marriage that over 90% of people get married. That's how much we believe in marriage. So we know as a culture, as, as human beings, that we believe in marriage. So much so that almost every person goes through it. Uh, we believe in marriage so much that even 75% of women and men who divorce will get remarried within 10 years. So even those who have been married once and it failed, three out of four of them go and get married again. That's how much we believe in marriage. Now, here's some of the issues. More than 40% of marriages end in divorce, a sobering statistic. 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 70% of third marriages end in divorce. And here's a quote. If every couple was about the same number of every couple has about the same number of disagreements, people who leave a marriage because of irreconcilable differences are likely to find themselves arguing just as much in their next marriage. The wallpaper may be different, but the specific and the specifics may vary, but the frustrations will feel awfully familiar. What Markman, Gottman, and these are the guys that did the study, and the others were finding undermined the basic principle driving romantic relationships in America. Okay, this principle. Here's the principle by which we live by, at least in relationships and marriages, that it's about finding the right person. That if you find your soulmate, everything will be fine. She goes on to say, but that's the big myth. That's the issue. And in these studies and that they did, they found that, you know, what people longed for is they longed to find their soulmate. They longed to find someone they could go through life together. When the reality is, that's the myth. The reality is, whoever we end up with, God has laid out a way in which we should carry out that marriage. God has designed a way in which a wife and a husband should live their lives inside of that marriage. I think of uh, my, my wife and my, myself, and um, I would say that we're not necessarily soulmates. I don't know if you'd say that, Karen. Okay, she says she, I'm her soulmate. But here, here's the reality. I should have talked to her about this first. But, but if, for, for a lot of men and women, I don't know if you knew this, but we're very different from each other, right? Have you, have you experienced that in your relationships? Men and women are different. We live different. We think different. We act different. And so this idea of a, of a soulmate within marriage, many of us probably would say, eh, not necessarily. Now, what I would say is I, she's definitely my best friend. There's nobody I'd rather be with. There's nobody I'd rather spend time with. There's nobody I'd rather talk to. All of these things are true. Now, what we think about what, you know, and what goes on in our mind throughout the day, 
probably are very different, right? She'll start calling me, talking about the laundry that, that needs to be done. I'm like, oh, that's awesome, you know, and those type of things because that's what, you know, men do, okay? So marriage, what, whoever you're married to, it's not, it's not about me finding my soulmate, okay? We need to get that notion out of our mind is that whoever you're married to right now, that marriage can improve. That marriage can get better than what it looks like right now, even if you feel you have a great marriage. It can get better, and it can improve. And within our marriage, we can encourage our spouse to begin to look more and more like Jesus. I'm convinced uh, that, that this is true, whether it be most things we do in life, whether it be like my job, that God is a whole lot less concerned with what I choose to do as a career or what I choose to do as a job. I'm at a crossroads in my life right now. I turned in my, my resignation for my current job, and I'm trying to determine what's next. And so I've got a lot of great options that are out there for me. And one of the things I did is I asked five of my closest friends, I asked them, okay, here, here's what I got. What do you guys think of this situation? And they all gave me great advice and said many of the same things, and it was good affirmation for me. But now I look at those things, and you know what, what you know, God isn't concerned necessarily with which one of those options I choose. As much he's concerned is how am I going to conduct myself at that business, at that job? Am I going to live my life so other people can see Jesus? Marriage is the same way. I think God is a whole lot less concerned with who I marry than how I conduct myself in that marriage. Now, Karen and I have been married now for 13 years, right, babe? 13 years. We've been married for 13 years. This is us, 13, a little over 13 years ago, and she's beautiful, and I wasn't half bad. Okay, so, so 13 years ago, as I'm determining who am I going to marry, I think there are some great steps to take. I don't think you just go and you marry anyone. For me, much like when I was determined a job, I wanted to sit down, and I wanted to determine what am I looking for. And to me, what I wanted, I knew I wanted someone with godly character, right? I can go and I can see what the godly woman looks like in Proverbs. I can read this passage in 1 Peter and I can see, you know, that's the type of wife that I want. I knew I wanted somebody I was physically attracted to, right? That's easy. Okay, so those things are in place. And then other things that, that may take place. I, I knew for me, based on my, my background, what I came up with, I, I wanted, determined that I wanted to marry somebody who came from a, a family that was together, husband and wife, a strong marriage, strong family, that I wanted that. I felt I needed it because that was one of my greatest desires in my life is that, you know, I wanted a strong family, great relationship with my wife, great relationships with my kids. And so my wife had that. Now, I, it wasn't a checklist, okay, she meets this, this, this. Let's, let's go ahead and do it. All right, let's do it. That, that's not what this was. Okay, there, there was the attraction. We got along. We loved each other. But I knew what I was looking for in a woman. She met that. And there were probably many other women out there that would meet that. And so God a lot less concerned with, yes, we want to find somebody who has that godly character. But when we're in that relationship and we choose to spend our lives with that man or that woman, now the question is, how do we conduct ourselves within that marriage? And I think that here in 1 Peter is exactly what's laid out for us. I think the problem so often is that we look and say, you know what? You know, God, I would be so much more submissive as if I had a godly husband. You know what? I would follow this. If my, if my husband looked a lot more like this, then I would go ahead and do it. Or on the other end, you know what? Man, if my, 
if my wife was, you know, more respectful to me or whatever, you know, then I could, then I could do this. And that's what we kind of balance. But there, that's not in there anywhere, is it? It doesn't say if my husband does this or my wife does this, then, then I'm going to live this type of life and act this way towards him. It's the same way in, in how God treats us. The Bible tells us we were enemies of God. We were against him, and what did he do for us? He gave us his son, Jesus, that we could have a new life, a new life in him. So this is the example that God has given us, and it's the same thing he's called us to, that it doesn't matter how my spouse acts, there is a way in which I'm to live my life, right? And so that's what we want to talk about. So 1 Peter chapter 3, if you're not there, go ahead and turn there. Here's what it says. We're going to do the first seven verses today. 1 Peter chapter 3, it says, Wives... In the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, uh, of the past, <clears throat> excuse me, for, of the past who, who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate of you. Uh, Be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. All right, so I want to come back. I want to look at, at, uh, first of all, for the ladies. And the first, now let's note there's seven verses and six are for the ladies, one are for the men. Okay, I, I don't know why that is, but there's a lot in that one verse for us. So looking at this, first thing it says, it says, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands. And that, that word submissive and submission, that's a tough thing to deal with. All right, we look at that and we're like, man, I ain't going to be submissive to anyone. This is, what is this talking about? Well, understand, first of all, the number one item on here, this is speaking specifically to your own husband. Okay, so number one, ladies, on the first page, is it's to your own husband. Listen to this, what it says. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your own husbands. This isn't a statement that, one, men are superior to women or women are inferior to men. That's not what it's saying at all. What it's saying is the way that God has designed marriage, the way he's gone about it, is that a man is to lead. A man, if, if, a, if a marriage is to function in the way in which God has intend, intended it to function, a man is supposed to lead his wife and his family. This is how God has designed it. So this isn't saying every woman is submissive to every man. It's saying in the marriage relationship, a man is to lead. I remember talking to a friend one time. He says, you know, honestly, Kyle, I think God probably designed it this way because if left to themselves, men aren't going to do a very good job of this. How many times do we look around and we say women look a whole lot more in their character and their virtue like Jesus than men do? I look around the room and I'd say that's probably accurate, right? So many times women look a whole lot more like Jesus than men do. And so it's almost a challenge, hey, okay, men, this is what you are to do, right? And I'm not sure that's the way God designed it, but for us, 
I, I know it's the way that God designed it, but not sure of the reasoning. But this is how God has designed it, that we are to lead women to be submissive to our own husband. We don't want to be scared off by that word. We just want to know that for us to function, our family to function, for us to, to grow and look like Jesus, this is the way God has designed it. Number two for the ladies. Number two, winsome conduct. Winsome conduct. In our marriage, this is the kind of conduct that women should have. So here, listen to verse one here still. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husband so that if any do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. I think what Peter's telling us here in verse 1 is that for women to live winsome, to live winsome is specifically talking about those women whose men do not have a relationship with Jesus, do not have a relationship with God. And it's telling them and to live in such a way that when the man... When the husband looks at the way the wife lives, they're drawn to it. That they love Jesus, they pursue the kingdom, that when the husband looks at their life, oh man, there's something I need. There's something that I want for my own life. And so what Peter's challenge to the wife is, hey, live your life in such a way that your husband is drawn to it. That your husband ultimately not drawn to me, but drawn to Jesus. That's what Peter is encouraging women. I think the same thing would be true whether your, your husband believes in Jesus, has a relationship with Jesus, or is just not walking with him. That if I live in a winsome way, winning them over to Jesus, that my character, my actions, my words, they look at me and they say, you know what, I need that in my life. Uh, number three, respectful conduct. Look at verse two. 1 Peter 3, 2, it says, When they see the purity and reverence in your life, a wife is to show regard and appreciation for the God-given role of her husband and to esteem his leadership. To understand the way that God has created this is for a man to lead. Now, what we don't want to do, for you that are wise, what what we're not called to do is continue to tell, man, you got to lead. You got to do this. You got to do that. God's calling you to do this. Now, uh, I do uh, a lot of real estate training. And one of the things we, we do when we train is that we want both buyers and sellers to kind of realize, okay, it's their own idea. So if I go on a listing appointment and I'm trying to determine the price of a house, I'm going to show them five houses, right, that may be between two hundred dollars and $205,000. And at the end, I'm going to ask the question, so what do you think your home is worth? Right? Well, what have I done? I know what the answer is, and I've kind of led them that way. Now, if I come out and just say, hey, here's what you need to do, well, that's me directing. In the same way, marriage, for you wives, if I go and I tell you this is what you need to do, guess how your man's going to react? What you talking about, woman? Right? Get off me, woman. We're not going to do that. But if we can lead them, help them understand, okay, you know, for, for a man to lead in the marriage relationship, for a man to lead in our prayer life, in our study of the word, to lead our kids. What are ways in which I can encourage him to do that without not constantly on him like, hey, you got to do this, you got to do that. You know what the Bible says you're supposed to be doing right now? Because a man's not going to react too well to that. So we want to lead and, and, you know, drop some hints here and there, right? All right, number four, pure conduct. Again, verse two, when they see the purity of, in your life, when they see the purity. 
the, the word here is defined, pure is defined to embody Christian virtue. To embody Christian virtue. Karen and I were talking yesterday, and as we were kind of going through these lists for both men and women, one of the questions she asked me, so, so what do you love about me, Kyle? And as I thought, and I didn't have to think long, and I, I began to, to think about all that she'd embodied, right, in her life and the virtue in her life, and I said, you know, Karen, one of the things I love about you is if you think about the fruit of the Spirit, I mean, that, that kind of defines you. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I'm like, all those words, if you know my wife, do they not define her? They define her. Now, I got two or three of them, but for her, that, like every single one of them define her. I'm like, that's what I love about you. And when you look about this idea of pure conduct, man, my, babe, that's, that's, that's what I love about you. And then she asked what I, you know, what I didn't love about her, and there was a small list. I'm not going to share that from the stage. So a, a pure conduct, right? And that pure conduct is kind of a Christian virtue. Number five, it's an overflow of the heart. Look at verses three and four here. It says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is great in, the war, in God's eyes. All right, listen, the, the physical is not bad. You know, if, if my wife and would, would sit around in her pajamas and not shower all day, well, the physical attraction is probably not what it is if she goes and, you know, gets herself all dressed up and everything like that. So women, it's good to do that from, you know, every time to time. That's not a bad thing, all right? We, we like that as men. However, what, what, what is Peter telling us here? That the beauty that matters is what flows from the heart. And this is true for all of us, but it's true especially for wives in marriage, that the beauty that matters is what flows from your heart. And you know the physical is great, but the beauty that God, that, that your husband, that this relationship is to look like, is something that is an overflow from our heart condition. What is our heart condition in this? And if we are to be submissive, we are to love our husbands, it's not just a list of, okay, here's one, here's two, here's three, here's four, here's five, six, seven. These are the items I'm supposed to do. No, it, it's, I want to do these things because my heart condition with God is right, because my relationship with Jesus is strong, because I'm pursuing the kingdom. And because I am, my relationship with my husband, it's just an overflow of that heart condition, right? Number six, number six is a gentle and a quiet spirit. Is at the end of verse four there, right? A, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's eyes. Commentator Peter David, uh, Davids writes this, gentle in the Greek is a word, uh, is Greek world was an amiable friendliness that contrasted with roughness, bad temper. In biblical perspective, the term indicates a person who does not attack back, and he or she waits without bitterness and vengeance. He writes the term quiet conveys a sense of being calm, peaceful, tranquil, as opposed to restless, rebellious, and disturbed. 
And so for us, you know, as I, I look at my own relationship, uh, with my own marriage relationship with Karen, one of the things that I look at often is that how she responds to me, right? And we talk about gentle and quiet spirit. Now, this may shock you, but there are times when, you know, I may be a jerk or I may not treat her how I should treat her or any, anything like that. And the time she responds and she says, Kyle, you know what, you're being a jerk, quit acting like this, do this. Guess how, what my response is to that? Yeah, I am a jerk. You know what? And I, you know, I'm responding however I'm responding, but it's very, my tone is going to be very aggressive, whatever. Now, when she responds as she normally responds in gentleness and quiet, guess what my response is? Much, I step back. I quit being the jerk that I am because of how she responds to me. And so, you know, it's so easy to want to come back at somebody. It's so easy who somebody has wronged you to go right back at them and tell them what they've done, isn't it? What, what Peter is calling wives to and knowing how men are in general, that quiet and that gentle, even in our response, even in anger. And it doesn't mean you don't ever tell your husband when he's done something wrong, but how we do it says a lot, doesn't it? That gentle and quiet spirit. And when women respond to men in that way, I, I think it really causes us to take a step back, right, and realize how she's coming about it. When you attack back, and I'm not saying it's right, but what is a man's response to that? Probably to go right back at you. So a quiet and a gentle spirit. Last one for the ladies here would be it's based, all of this is based on a hope in God. A hope in God. Listen to this in verse 5. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. Ultimately, the reason we act this way, the reason we respond this way, is because of our hope in God. Because I have a relationship with Jesus. Because of what God has done for me in the finished work of the cross, that's why I respond this way to my husband. That's why I live in a submissive heart and spirit. Because it's, it's not because my husband deserves it, but it's because I have this great hope in God. And that's where the basis is. Again, it goes back to that heart condition. But that's where it flows from. Uh, Dr. Wayne Gruden says this, he writes, Submission is an inner quality of gentleness that affirms the leadership of the husband. To affirm your husband's leadership is saying with your words and your behavior, I support you. I believe you're called by God to play this role. I am committed to making your plan a success, and I'm here to be your helper. I think for, for men, if our women and our ladies want to criticize and to nag, you know our response is simply, it turns us away from that. But ladies, when, when our response is that of affirmation for your husband, when we affirm him, when we affirm his role, I think it stirs something in our hearts to lead and to do what God has created us to do. Okay, so now let's go over to verse 7. We've got one verse for the men, but I'm, I'm not going to let you off the hook with just one verse here. But 
Verse 7, it says this. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. I think for husbands, our calling is to live a life and a marriage of understanding and knowing your wife. Okay, hear that. Our lives are to live a lifestyle of growing in understanding and knowing your wives. This is our calling. Look at the first thing he says. And husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect. Okay, we are called to be considerate and to understand. Now, what does that look like? We've put together, and Karen and I kind of looked at this list last night, kind of eight ways in which a husband can better understand your wife. Number one. Oh, it skipped number one, but I'm sorry. Oh, there it is. Okay, I'm giving you two at once. Number one, what are the unique aspects of who she is as a person? What are the unique aspects of who your wife is as a person. Karen and I were talking about this, okay, and when I'm talking about what are the strengths and weaknesses. So that's one of the things we talked about last night. All right, what are my strengths and why weaknesses? And as we talked about that, it helps me understand my wife better, doesn't it? I think this is good practice anyway. One of the things I had done recently is I was told you earlier talking about, you know, what is next for my job and my career. One of the things I asked my five friends, I said, tell me what my strengths are. Tell me what I'm good at. And then tell me where my weaknesses are. What are the things in my life I need to work at? And it's good practice. I think all of us, men and women, that's a good thing. Those people who are close to you and know you, what are your strengths? You can be affirmed in your strengths. What are your weaknesses? And you know what? If four or five people all tell you the same thing, and I heard the same thing often, guess what? That's probably something you need to work on in your life. Well, there is nowhere better to work on these things than in marriage. And for men... Being a leader in your marriage does not mean you just, okay, here's how it's going to be. But we listen to our wives. We want to understand what are their strengths and weaknesses. Help them affirm them in their, in their strengths and encourage them in their weaknesses, right? Number two, what is her daily schedule? Is she carrying too much? What is she going through? And this goes along with number three, what are her daily burdens and cares? So what is my wife going through on a daily basis? And that looks a whole lot different than maybe what I'm doing. You know, my, my, my wife stays home with the kids. She's raising them. You know, she's responsible for the household. So much of her, her daily is, oh, man, Kyle, i got to do this and this. And so my conversations throughout the day, she may call me, you know, when she tells me that she's a little frustrated because, she, you know, the laundry has not been done. Well, my response, you know, typically is, okay, i got 100 things to do here. But I need to learn to listen. Okay, her struggles. Right now, one of our big struggles is our, our son. And it's, our son's a great kid. We got back from uh, the parent-teacher conferences. She was telling us, hey, you know, he's a great kid. He helps other people. He always listens. But our struggle with him is, is he's really sensitive. And all our kids are sensitive, but he is oversensitive. Like something responds. He's in tears. He, he draws back. He wants nothing to do. And that's really a concern for us. Uh, you know, I, I remember yesterday looking at that and hearing about that Johnston Middle Schooler 
or high schooler who took his own life. Sophomore in high school. And I think about the emotions that our kids deal with. Whether they're six years old or 16 years old, that, that's a major concern for me in dealing with my kids and understanding my kids. Now at the age they're out, but also as they grow. And, and we talk about now, what are the things we need to do for our son and, and for all our kids to encourage them, to help them realize and go through these things in life you know, together so they can grow for them. And that's a major concern, and it's a major concern for my wife. Well, what are her burdens? What are her struggles? How can I help them, help her in those? Number four, how and when does she like to communicate? How and when does she like to communicate? Now, I don't know if you knew this. Men and women are different. Do you guys know that? All right, there's a reason they say, you know, men are from Mars, women from Venus, all of that stuff. Because we act and we communicate differently. My wife likes to talk. She, you know, she, as many, I don't want to get myself in trouble. Many ladies like to talk, right? You know, you like to tell your feelings and all that. And I don't, you know, it's just not me, okay? I, you know, a one-minute phone conversation is too long. Okay, so when, when, when these things take place, one of the things we need to do and learn as men is sometimes we don't have to have all the answers. That's hard, right? As men, we're like, okay, well, here's the five things you need to do. And if you do these five things, it's all going to work out. And I may put a little PowerPoint together and say, okay, here's how we're going to handle this situation. Well, guess what? That, that's not how women operate. I want to give you a phrase, men. Use this one. Tell me more about this. Okay? So as she's telling me about her day or the issues she has and all the things going on, tell me more about that. All right? And all you got to do is keep saying that. And just let her talk. You don't have to have the answers. Just let her talk. Let her do her thing. Okay? So learn how and when she likes to communicate. Number five, what words and actions express love to her? Uh, Many of you have read the book, The Five Love Languages, but we need to learn and understand how our our, our spouse likes, you know, uh, affection. For, For me, my wife likes physical. She likes hugs, kisses, all those things. And she may remind me, hey, you know, you, you haven't given me a kiss today. You haven't given me a hug. She likes gifts, right? Th- that's kind of her love language. Well, men, you need to understand and know what your life's love language is. And, you know, yours is physical. Okay, I understand that. You're a man. But for your wife, it may be something different. Know and understand what their love language is and then act that way towards them. Is it words of affirmation? Is it gifts? Is it physical touch? What is it? And then respond in such a way. So if you don't know that, I I would encourage you to discover what that is. And then that's how you should act towards your wife. Not not what you're looking for, but what your wife needs. Uh, Number six, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one, but what pleases her in the marriage bed? Okay, number seven. (laughs) You guys handle that in your own relationships. All right. Uh, Number seven. How do your personal strengths and weaknesses affect her? So looking back on yourself now, and again, that, that a good study for you, and ask some close friends this. But what are your, men, what are your strengths and weaknesses? And then begin in your marriage to have this discussion with your wife, knowing your strengths and weaknesses. How do they affect her? And how do they affect your relationship with her? You need to understand them, because it's going to have an impact on your own marriage. And Listen, sometimes our strengths can be our biggest downfall in our marriage or any relationship. 
you know, whether it be communication or whatever it might be, my strength, and you look through the, the, the Bible and you can see this with guys like Peter, right, who denied Christ. Well, boldness was his biggest strength, right? He was ready to step out, go and walking on water, but yet that was his downfall. David had a passion for God, but what was his downfall? With Bathsheba, right? Many times our greatest strengths can ultimately be a downfall, be our downfall. So we need to guard against that as well in our marriages. Number eight, how do your decisions affect her? How do your decisions affect her and your relationships? Ultimately, God has designed the marriage for a man to lead, but it should never be in such a way that, okay, Karen, here's what we're going to do. Okay, Karen, here's what we're going to do. Okay, Karen, here's what we're going to do. It, there should be very few times in our marriage relationship where we're at a disagreement and me as the head and the family have to make a decision that we're going to go this direction. Most of the time, if we are studying the word together, if we're praying together, if we're both pursuing the kingdom of God, you know, our, our thought process, where we're going in life should, should probably be hand in hand. And there may be very few times in our life where it may come down and say, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's the decision that needs to be made. If we're both pursuing the things of God, if we are both uh, have a strong relationship with Jesus, spending time in the Word, spending time communicating in prayer, there, there should be most of the time our thought process and where we're going, the direction we're going in life should, should kind of be hand in hand on that. Okay, so what, how do your decisions affect her? I want to end, and the band can go ahead and come back up. I want to end with this, this final half of verse 7. It says, treat them with respect as the weaker partner, as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Two things on why husbands should live in an understanding way and honor their wives. The second one I'm going to go through first. The, first. the second one is so that nothing will hinder your prayers. James tells us that the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. If our relationship with our spouse is not where it should be, your prayer life, your communication with God, your relationship with Jesus is not going to be where it's supposed to be. Okay, so we need, and, and vice versa, you know, as I grow my relationship with Jesus, guess what? Your relationship with your spouse is probably going to follow suit. So I would encourage you, part of this is that nothing will hinder our prayers. And the second thing is, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. As we take the bread and the juice, be reminded that the bread and the juice point us to Jesus. The bread of his body that was broken the juice of his blood that was spilled for us. It's a symbol. It's a symbol of what God has done. It's a symbol of his death on the cross. Marriage is to point us, just like the bread and juice point us to Jesus, marriage is to do the same thing. Nick brought it out when he talked about marriage recently, but you know what? Someday, we're not going to be married, right? God, eternity you will not spend eternity with your spouse in marriage. Marriage today is designed to point us towards Jesus and towards eternity. And your marriage should function in such a way that you, because of how your spouse is functioning, you are drawn 
to Jesus. Your heart is set towards eternity. And Peter tells us right here, as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. We as husband and wife, we are heirs. As followers of Jesus, of those who have put our trust in Jesus, both husband and wife, we share in the inheritance. Not because we're married or anything like that, because both of us have that relationship with Jesus. And ultimately, that's what it points back to. That's what matters. Your marriage is, I hope it's great, I hope it's improving, but ultimately your marriage should point towards Jesus. It should point each other towards Jesus, and with an outside and a broken world looks at your marriage, guess what? They should be drawn to Jesus because of how you live your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you we thank you for Jesus. God, as we look at our marriages, God, both as, as husbands and wives, God, this isn't some sort of to-do list. Now I do this, this, and this, and everything's going to be perfect. But God, ultimately, we look back at our heart. Our heart condition, first and foremost, needs to be drawn to you, needs to be drawn towards eternity. Set our hearts and our minds on the things of eternity. Draw us to Jesus. Help us desire to look like him. And God, as we are... Help us to challenge and encourage and bring our spouse along with. God, we want our marriages to point towards Jesus, both within the marriage, but also to those outside looking towards it. God, we thank you for Jesus. We, we thank you for this incredible thing you've done for us in giving us your son. And God, as we look to the bread and the juice now as a reminder of this incredible thing, a reminder of Jesus and his body that was broken, of his blood that was shed, the new covenant that we have, that's no longer a list, no longer these things that we need to do, but it's now just believing in Jesus. And God, if we're here this morning and we do not know and we do not believe, we have not put our trust in Jesus, God, God, may we be pointed to that. God, may we be drawn to him. God, we, we pray for those here this morning that don't know Jesus. God, convict their hearts, help them realize their great need for him. For those of us that know Jesus, God, in our marriages, may we pursue you. God, as we think about if we're not married and we desire to be, if we look at this and think of the qualities both we want to have and we want our spouse to have. Of those that have been married before, and maybe, God, it's an encouragement and challenge towards our kids or our grandkids, or a future spouse, whatever you have for our lives. God, first and foremost, may we pursue Jesus. We thank you that you pursued us first, and Jesus pursued us in going to the cross. Remind us of that this morning. Remind us of that throughout the week and in our lives. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I feel passionate about the family. I feel passionate about my family. I feel passionate about your family. I feel passionate about the families in the church today. And I believe that, you know, there, there's an attack on the family. I believe there's an attack on your family. And, and we need to pray together. We need to encourage each other. We need to challenge each other. And I, I believe that if our families truly 
pursue the kingdom of God, it can, it can change the world around us. If your family, your marriage pursues Jesus, it, it'll impact your kids, it'll impact your neighbors, it'll impact the world around you. Let's pray together. God, God I pray for our marriages. God, I, I pray right now, God, for those marriages that are hurting, those marriages that are struggling, God, that you, you would capture them. God, that you would capture our hearts individually. God, that it would flow into our marriages, that it would flow over to our kids. God, we pray that, uh, God, as our marriages may be falling apart, that you would save them. Uh, God, as, as lives may be falling apart, that you would save them. God, we, we pray, even, even thinking of the last couple days in Des Moines, God, that the family in Johnston, whose son took their life, God, how that could destroy a family. God, may you use that for your kingdom. May you use that to draw people to yourself. God, we, we think uh, of the murder in Waukee. And, and God, even uh, the wife and the kids, Bria and her kids that are left behind. God, we pray, God, that you would, you would capture their hearts. God, that you, you would draw them to yourself in this time of pain, in this time of hurting. God, that, 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 that you would change hearts, that you would change lives. God, there is nothing we can do apart from you. God, we need you in our lives. We need you in our families. We need you in our marriages. God, capture us, change us, transform us. We ask it, we beg it, we plead in the name of Jesus. It's in his precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Let's sing one more song together.